0: Um, our reading for this last session is First Samuel, chapter nine, please. First Samuel, chapter nine, right at the end, verse twenty-seven. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, at Zelzar, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth the tree of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen. When you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place, with a stringed instrument and tambourine, a flute and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices and peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was the group of prophets to meet him. And then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened, when all who knew him formerly, saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said one to another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When it finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? So he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no. Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes, by your clans. When Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? The Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Then Samuel explained to the people the behaviour of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it out before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. Now suffice for our reading. Just before we say anything about what we've read, um, a word in your ears, please, concerning another of the uh, fellowship publications. I want to say something about the monthly Bible studies publication. I don't know how many of you have it, but in the year there are 11, um, what do you call it, Edition. editions? Issues. issues, thank you. 11 issues. Now for a year, I've just discovered this lately because we've just filled in our literature drawers, same as you have, for a year it costs 12 pounds. That's just a smidgen over a pound an issue. I have to tell you, that's one of the greatest bargains going. Now, I'm not saying this, by the way, because it's that time of the year when you're filling in your literature order and if you've done it so far and you haven't put Bible studies, it's still time to add that on. You can still go back and do that. But there's a reason for me telling you this and the reason isn't that James is sitting there because he's one of the editors and I could tell you a lot about the fine work that he does but that's not the reason. It was because I find Bible studies a most valuable resource. And when I was preparing this evening's address for you, I went back to the 1990 volume of Bible Studies, which is on 1 Samuel, and I was greatly helped. And I want to mention this to you particularly, because these names would be well known and admired by you. But two of the papers that were submitted, one was from Roland Williams, And one was from Alec Reed. I was helped, And so would you be. Now our brothers are not with us this afternoon. Because they're at rest. In the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They fulfilled their ministry. And they're at rest. And they're waiting the great resurrection. But I want to tell you that their ministry... Lives on, and they're still speaking to us. They spoke to me this past week on the pages of Bible studies. Now, to what we've read in 1 Samuel, mainly 10, although if we'd had time, I would have read chapter 9 with you as well. What a great story it is. And um, sometimes, and I'm sure you share this experience, sometimes when reading through the Old Testament, you come across such an illumination of some biblical precept or principle that the thing really grips you and it's as if it's come alive. Of course, every word here is living, but sometimes it just seems to sparkle as you read it. Encapsulated in the narrative, embedded in the story, a principle that's enunciated in the new testament exemplified in the narrative of an old testament story it's the most wonderful thing and i know you've had the experience but this is one of those and i want to spend a few minutes with you as we close off today's conference looking at just one or two principal things there are many more than we'll be able to speak of in matthew 13 um, verse 11 the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Mysteries known to the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in this dispensation. Paul, the Apostle, principally in his letters to the Ephesians and to the Colossians and other places also, speaks about mysteries. And he he references in mysteries such things as um, the, the incarnation such things as the disobedience of Israel and the consequences of that disobedience such things as the bringing together united into one body Jew and Gentile such things as the indwelling of Christ such things as the present expression of the kingdom of God a spiritual kingdom such things as the rapture of the church these he the mysteries that were in the Old Testament and by the Spirit of God, he's unfolding the mystery for us in the New Testament. And it's altogether glorious. But he says they're in the old. In the old, they're mysteries. That means covered. And in the new, they're revealed. They're uncovered. This is one of, one of those passages where we think, and the point is that they're in the Old Testament. I was noticing Martin's point about many titles being Old Testament. And These are where these things are hidden. And you and I have been given the equipment to go back and see them uncovered. And they shine in all their illustrious glory and teach us things for our lives today as disciples of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't it make Bible study the, th- the most thrilling thing that you could be engaged in? I don't know whether you picked up James's little point early on. He talked about his university days and said he didn't have a lot to do. Well, I'm sure that's not quite true, James. But the, the, the greater thing, the greater thing to engage the mind is the study of this book. My brothers and sisters, there's so many things to detract us from this book. Don't let it happen. These are glorious mysteries encapsulated in the Old Testament, revealed in the New, so that you and I can take the searchlight of the New Testament back into the Old and see the thing live for us. Now, um, we need to get on with what we're actually saying. The present reading, for example, we're not going to expand this, but I'll give you an example of how it works. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, My power is made perfect in weakness, the Lord speaking to Paul. Now that text, that principle, precept, is wonderfully uh, exemplified in what we've read in 1 Samuel 10, is it not? Or you take John 15 and 5, the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples, of course, upper room ministry, and he says, without me you can do nothing. There's a great text to take back to 1 Samuel 10. That one we will pick up on again in in just a moment. Um, There are matters here, of great moment, Uh, and I need to sort of excuse myself for not going over some of these. We don't have time. There's a whole series of addresses here. But for example, uh, we're not going to say much, if anything, about Israel's request and their ill-founded, ill-conceived reasoning for that request for a king. We're going to have to pass by that. We'll make a mention of it in a moment. We're going to say little, I think about god's supply of a king and his divine sovereign choice of saul because saul was god's choice we're even going to tiptoe quietly past rachel's tomb we're not going to have time to have a conversation with those men going up to bethel because i want to bring you principally to one text. And we're going to tack it on to those marvellous things we've heard this afternoon through James and Alistair to carry home with us and with God's help to live by. It's chapter 10, verse 7, if you've got your Bible still open. Samuel's speaking to Saul. And he said, Let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands For God is with you. Brothers, sisters, that's our text for our closing session of today's conference. As the occasion demands, there are many things before the people of God today. 2016 is drawing to a close. And in what we call the Western world, the fellowship is struggling. The occasion demands, what What does it demand? And the fellowship is growing. It's growing in the Philippines. It's growing in India. It's growing on the great continent of Africa. The occasion demands, what does it demand? But Samuel was speaking to a man and he said whatever it demands you do it step up soul to the plate whatever the occasion demands do it for god is with you and i put it to you that that's a text for you and i today to carry home with us we say on the back of that wonderful ministry we've already received just a little text As the occasion demands, do it. For God is with you. First thing I want to say to you, arising out of this reading, as I say it really includes chapter 9, if we'd had time, is that God has a wonderful, a strange, a mysterious, an unguessable way of ruling his world and also of sustaining those Who are his people living in that world it's a difficult world to live in for you and i it's making inroads if we're not careful on our spirituality all the time and we need to know how to live in it and how to stand and having done all to stand we read that this morning in ephesians chapter 6 Celia and i are a day behind in our readings you will have been on to philippians one if you follow the calendar reading i hope you do I love to think of me reading the same as my brothers and sisters reading sometime during the day. We were in Ephesians 6 this morning, having done a wall to stand. Now we're living in that, and God says to us, you may go forward. And God is, I'm with you. And what the occasion demands, I've fitted you for it. I want to come to that in just a minute. Um, the, the point is that God rules and he's never ceased to rule. And he ne- never shouted Whatever the issues are in life that come up, the commonalities of life, common, the common stuff of life that sometimes threatens to trip us up, God has a way over it, under it, around it, through it, but always beyond it. And we say it's sometimes mysterious and unguessable what God will do, but rest assured he will do something. These things may face us, but they don't face him. And he knows. And here's the thing with a glorious inevitability, God is working all things after the counsel of his will. That's Ephesians 1 and 11. And you mark it in your mind, in your heart. You wear that text and bring it out when the adversary threatens to bring you down to doubt and despair. I belong to the God. We've heard about that. I belong to the God who is working all things after the purpose of his will, the counsels of his purpose. Nothing but nothing will ever mitigate against that. Now, um, the people asked for a king, and their reasoning was distorted. And Samuel reacted to that, and I—I I, I don't know how to portray Samuel. You'll have your own picture, I'm sure, as you read, well, First Samuel nine. But what I don't see is Samuel with his head in his hands. I don't think he was that sort of a man. Maybe later on you find him like that when Saul's gone down the hill. But uh, here, this is Samuel. I think his hands are in the air. This is an exasperated servant of God. What? What are you asking for? Are you serious? And against the distorted reasoning of his people, and against the distraught reaction of his servant, God was working all things after the counsel of his purpose. He still had a way through. Now, we're not saying, of course, that we're free to not bother about things because the will of God will be done. You know how Paul reacted to that kind of reasoning with his, one of his God forbids an exclamation, never should be. And we're not suggesting that in the slightest. But we are reminding ourselves this afternoon of the inevitability of God's sovereignty. You see, when you look at Israel's distorted thinking, when you look at Samuel's distraught response, reaction. We we dare not minimize sin, because sin has consequences. But neither must be de- neither, neither must be we. we minimize God's mercy. God's mercy is in here as well. It's always there. Where sin abounded, Paul says. There, God's grace abounded more exceedingly. We see them both. What we're saying is this, the present point, is that uh, sin has consequences, but not included in those consequences are the purposes of God being thwarted. Oh no. God is sovereign, and he's on his throne. And he has purposes for you and for I, for me, that go beyond those things that would come into our lives and trip us up and get us in the way. Brothers and sisters, look beyond. We're looking at great difficulties today, these days. But look beyond. We have a God who takes us to the beyond. He'll take us through. Or around or above or under or whatever. But he'll take us to the the beyond. Now, um, there's another little thing here that I need to mention which is perfectly obvious really. But it's the Benjamite farmer. uh, And he's lost some of his donkeys. I I put it that way because it seems so trivial. First Samuel 9 reads like a day in the life of a Benjamite farmer. And somehow his donkeys have gotten loose and run away. So he calls his son, Kish, and he says, take one of the servants and go and look for them. And that's the sort of job I think I would have liked. I think I could have managed to have gone looking for lost. donkeys. say I would have found them, but I would have been nice. So across the hill country of Ephraim goes Saul and his servant. And by and by they come into the area known as Zuf. And lo and behold, they're in the territory of Samuel's presence at that particular time. Now, my point is this. That was no coincidence. Of course it was not. If you ever were tempted to think, and you never would be, of course, but if anybody was tempted to think that was a coincidence, read 15, 16, and 17 of 1 Samuel 10, because that's where the writer of 1 Samuel lets us into the secret. God knew all about this. God knows about lost donkeys. But he has a greater plan, and beyond the donkeys is a kingdom, and he's bringing Saul to the realization of that kingdom. So he brings him to Zoph, and he brings him into the companionship or the the uh, presence of Samuel, and the rest of the story you know. We we broke into it there, the anointing of Saul by Samuel for kingship of the inheritance of God. What a position! how important leadership is, it's God's inheritance. And he appoints men to take care of it for him from time to time. And that's what's happening here. Now, um, here's the point about the lost donkeys, that God is in control of the small stuff as well as the big issues in life. You know, you and I do not live our lives on the principle of that's how the cookie crumbles that doesn't belong to you and me. There's never been a coincidence in your life, especially since you were a child of God. There's a myriad of scriptures that teach us that. Proverbs 16 and 9, it says, a man, 9 and 10 it is, a man's ways, uh, a man plans his ways, but the Lord orders his steps. Is that not true? God orders the way of a man um, and he orders your steps and he orders mine no coincidences and there may be small things that appear to be of no moment but God knows about them lost on case. A, a little upset on the Kish farm and God is choosing a king, who would have thought that's the way God uses it works in his strange, mysterious, unguessable ways. Uh, he's bringing his purposes to fulfillment. Um, by the way, in case you're sitting there thinking, well, I guess that's the way it is with choosing of kings and perhaps leaders, um, it's for all of us, it's for you and me. It comes down to where we are. And Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us that, doesn't it? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is part of the divine sovereign purpose and he's working all things to the fulfillment of that. You might have wondered why that experience came into your life, why the big disappointment, why the big success cuts both ways. God brings you along the path and by and by, if we'll be led by him, If we'll be instructed in the way, we'll see the fulfillment of those purposes in the now, as well as those eternal purposes that can never be undone or taken away from, of course. Now, another point I need to bring you to is um, this, that it's an abiding truth, an abiding principle, and this was in Roland's paper, an abiding truth that those who are called into the service of God are equipped by God for the task that he calls them to now I hold that as a truth so do you I know so he never called you and I to do and he, he has called you, we've established that from Ephesians 2 and 10 so he's called you for good works which he prepared for you for each of us individually to do and he didn't leave you to try and find the means of doing that but he equipped you for it and the equipment here is seen in of course salt, being equipped to do the task that he was being led to do um, how are you getting on? I don't mean just right now, but how are you getting on in life with the things that God's equipped you to do and called you to do? Do you wake up in the morning thinking, Lord, what is it that lies before me in this particular day as part of the good works prepared beforehand? And, and can I grasp, Lord, that piece of equipment, the fit, fitting that you've done for me so that I might come out? And, is that how you face the day? Brothers and sisters, try to please tomorrow morning. We have great privilege of the day, the Lord's day, lying before us, the privileges I should say. He's equipped us for the task of service. See, some of these tasks will be personal, and some will be in the company of the people of God. The personal ones. We could spend a long time going through them. But for instance, his personal holiness is part of the task. We're to live holy lives. And and that's a thing we must face, we must stand. And having done all to stand, to go back to Ephesians 6 scripture. And then part of the tasks that God's given you and I to do will be those tasks among his people, corporate service, priestly service among the people of God. And we've been equipped, we've been made fit for doing those things. Wouldn't you face them with a sense of thrill? That these things have been given to us and we've been equipped to do them. We don't need to think, I will never be able to fulfill this. That God not only gives, but he equips What did he do for Saul? Samuel says to him, he's going to change your heart. He says, you'll be turned into another man. And then in verse 9, we have the fulfillment of that. He changed his heart. God's changed yours and mine. I have a heart today, so do you, we weren't born with. We were born in sin. That's in the sin condition. And the heart was exceedingly wicked, and all those things that the Bible tells us about the unregenerate heart. And God came in and He changed all that, and He gave you a heart transplant. It was a far better one than the one you had before. It'll never fail. And and He's given it to you. It's part of your equipment, making you fit for the task. And it, it turns us into different people. You afraid of that? not an overriding of your personality anyway, some of us kind of wish it was but it was turning you into a different person that means all the weaknesses you'll be given strengths for and the things that you were strong in that you shouldn't have been you'll be able to leave them to one side you'll be turned into a different perspective, different evaluation that all happened to us by virtue of the new birth to am very tempted to go to John 3 and James has taken us there, and that nighttime conversation with nicodemus you must be born against the heart that's the great heart transplant but with Saul, i want to suggest it's moving on from there and it's a realization of what we were given in the new birth the realization of what god has done for us every day that we live to wake up in the life of a disciple and say god you've done such marvelous things for me i can go out into this day with the thrill of knowing that i can serve you acceptably be pleasing to you, and you will receive the glory because of what you've done. Brothers, sisters, this is real. This is what's happened to us. And he says, the Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord, that's the Jehovah title. The Spirit of Jehovah will come upon you. That's verse six. And verse ten again the fulfillment, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This this really is the crux of our closing message today this matter of our being equipped with the Spirit of God. God who has called you, prepared things for us to do, and prepared us to do the things, equipped and fitted us, enabled us to do those things, and the enabling is nothing less than giving us his Spirit. You know, that's such a well-known teaching that you and I can lose our sense of wonder at it. Would you renew that with me this evening? The sheer wonder that the Spirit of God has come upon us, never to leave us, that he indwells us. The Spirit of God. My brother and sister, there's not a thing that God wants you to do that you're not able to do for him. We face the challenges of the hour, the challenges of the day, what the occasion demands, and we're going to step up because we're spirit-empowered men and women. Just as Paul was, only even better. Notice the surprise, by the way. I did not pass on without noticing this, but, because it's just a fascinating little thing. They said, uh, is Saul also among the prophets? I think they coined a phrase that day. It was like saying, well, wonders never cease. Later on you read it again, and it seems that they said that when something surprising happened. They said, is Saul also among the prophets? Such a surprising thing. It seems so, so different to what they were used to. Their uh, expectations of Saul were far less. And then this inspired comment by a man who was standing there that they said, Yeah, but who is their father? And I don't know what your understanding of that is, but I'll give you mine for what it's worth. I think he was pointing not to Samuel, I just think he was pointing to the, to the Lord. But where, where did this power come from? Where did this change, this en- ennobling and enabling come from? It's God given. Israel knew that was true of the prophets. It takes me to Matthew 5 and 16, Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ah, but who is their Father? Brothers and sisters, shall we resolve together this evening to live our lives. I'm sorry, I should say to you good people, Keep on living your lives. It's an encouragement to keep doing what you're doing, of course. To live our lives in defiance of human expectation, but in the wonder and the surprise of divine enabling. Now, very quickly as we try to draw this to a close, this word come upon, the spirit come upon, the Hebrew word there means to come with force, it means to push forward and uh, knowing something of Saul that we won't have time to comment on tonight, um, that was needed. It was to push him forward. You know, I I, I can't help but take that into the New Testament. And you read of, again, where James took us earlier the beginning of the conference to that um, inauguration of the Lord's public ministry and he's down at the Jordan, he's going into the waters of baptism, quite different, of course, to the others, but nevertheless being baptised james has told us he comes out of the water and matthew says he was led up by the spirit into the wilderness luke says something similar the spirit led him into the wilderness mark tells us something different he said the spirit and he uses a word ekbala and it means force it means to cast out he said mark did you get the right word there he's writing by the spirit of god He said he took the Son of God, the Son of Man, he came up out of the waters of the Jordan and he cast him forth into the wilderness. Is that really how it happened? You must take away from your mind any thought that there was any resistance in that wonderful servant of God. He didn't need to be impelled because he was resisting. He was always the fine flower of the meal offering, unresisting. Beautiful saviour, perfect servant. But he was sent with an irresistible force. And here's the thing it's the sheer inevitability of the thing. And the Lord, of course, was totally in mind with that, in harmony with it. But here's the thing the Lord didn't wander into the wilderness, he didn't meander. He wasn't dragging his footsteps as he went to meet the adversary of men and God. He went purposefully, the majestic, Lion of the tribe of Judah striding into the wilderness of Judah to meet Satan and to come victorious over those temptations and to walk out as perfect as it walked in. That's the walk of the Savior. But is this matter of sheer inevitability? You know, the Lord did all His work for three and a half years in the inevitability of the Spirit's power. Why? We said this many times, i say it again, because at the end of it he was to speak to a little group of men and say to them, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And not one of them could say, Lord, but you stepped down from heaven and did this in the power of the Son of God. He said, no, I fulfilled my public ministry as the Son of Man in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly the same power that I'm giving to you. Do you see it? You see the sheer wonder of it. That you and I have been given the power to carry out our disciples' service as the Son of Man carried out his work that the Father gave him to do. Is anything more wonderful than that? The inevitable force, the impelling power of the Spirit of God taking us out into divine service. What a wonderful thing. Now, a matter of importance, please, and just finishing, David. Verse 8, because this is very... You shall go down from me to Gilgal, and before me to Gilgal, and so on. And Samuel says, I'm going to come and I'll tell you what you must do. Would you just note this, please? We haven't time to say much about it. The power that was promised and realized by Saul must be put into the context of the word that was brought by the prophet. The promise of Jehovah the Lord of power given to Saul must be put alongside the word of Jehovah given through the prophet the spirit and the word are never separated that's the word for today is it not not singling anybody out but in these days when people long and seek after some dramatic expression of the spirit's power And at the same time, if they show no appetite for the word of God, the word of the Lord, as well as the power of the Lord, those things are not not against each other. They work in harmony with each other. And as it was with Saul, it must be with you and I. The promised power has been given to us, and the word has been given to us, and we need to live by this word. We have no other word to live by. We'll live by it and order all that we do by it. As it was to be with Saul, so it must be with us. Finally, can I just leave you with this picture of the missing leader? I'm very tempted, and I'm not going to do this. I'm going to show great discipline, mainly because my wife said to me uh, at tea time I wasn't to tell any stories. Well, I don't think I've told any, which is probably a first, but um, I'm not going to. I'm very tempted to, because there's something, I read this, and I think there's a little flash of humour here, isn't there? Where is all of Israel brought his power? The tribe of Benjamin brought forward. The uh, family of Kish's clan brought forward. And now the family of Kish. And where's Saul? Where is this man? that he stands head and shoulders. And he's not there. Is, is the man here, Lord? And the Lord is almost as if he says, look, he's sit and snuck it down in the saddlebags. I think that's what the thing means. There's some baggage. And he's hiding away among it. And we're apt to smile at that. At least some of us are. And there is something faintly humorous. But I want to leave with you the serious thing. The missing leader. And that's serious. Don't put this down to Saul's Humility. Here was a man that had known the rushing inevitable power of the holy spirit and he's not to go hiding amongst the baggage he's to step up to the mark as the occasion demands so do it for god is with you brothers and sisters please If you've ever been tempted, and take this to others as well, do not, do not go sloping off among the baggage. It's no place for us to hide. These are days that we're living in. Perhaps as never before when the occasion is very demanding and it's calling upon you and I to be the people that God has called us to be and to occupy those good works that he's prepared before for us to do with some of us that will be the sanctuary of prayer don't belittle that with some of us it will mean getting out into the streets with all of us it will mean being diligent to all the meetings of the people of God as much as is, is, is able never counting these things as expendable we must be what we must be particularly in these days for God is with you do you need a greater verse than that? phrase than that? For God is with us. Couple that back through Alistair's ministry of our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica back to the great ownership that James opened the conference with. God is with us. Rudyard Kipling. I was brought up with Rudyard Kipling. He lived down the road at a place called Batemans from Carubara. Now There's no sense in going further. It's the edge of cultivation, so they said, and I believed it. Broke my land and sowed my crops, built my barns and strung my fences in the little border station tucked away below the foothills where the trails run out and stop. Till a voice as bad as conscience rang interminable changes on one everlasting whisper day and night repeated, so, something hidden, go and find it. Go and look behind the ranges, something lost behind the ranges, lost and waiting for you. Go. So I went, worn out of patience, never told my nearest neighbours, and so on, and the poem goes on. It's a man reaching the edge of the pioneering work, I suppose out west, and leaves his neighbours in the town that says at the elder, edge of cultivation, we've come far enough, no further, but he had the whisper and he goes on further up into the mountain, ranges is beyond. And Rajar Kipling wonderfully tells of all the experiences that he has. Many at the cost. The call of God never comes without cost. And finally he finds gold. And he says, Thence I ran my first rough survey. Chose my trees and blazed and ringed them. Day by day I prized and sampled. Day by day my findings grew. Saul, he went to look for donkeys. And by God, He found a kingdom, but by God, who sent his whisper, I have found the worth of two. Is that us? We found the worth of his kingdom because he whispered to you, don't give up. Keep going. Go beyond the ranges. There's something hidden. There's always something beyond. I'll take you there. Let's pray together.